Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. It was likely not a surprise to industry insiders, but for patients, the challenge to obtain timely testing as the pandemic unfolded across our nation and world revealed yet another crack in our healthcare services. Even prior to the pandemic, the centralized nature of testing was challenged to keep up with demand. The testing landscape has been undergoing change with increasing examples of at-the-point-of-care testing solutions that have enabled rapid confirmation of clinical diagnosis with office-based solutions. At the simpler end of the spectrum are CLIA wave tests. CLIA stands for Clinical Laboratory Improvement Amendments, and it's the regulation from the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, that regulates almost all laboratory testing performed on humans in the United States and covers over a quarter of a million laboratories. Tests can be clear waves so they can be used in the home and are typically low complexity, meaning they are easy to administer and have a low risk for errors in the results. This does not mean that wave tests are completely error-proof. This is the case especially for some tests that have potential for serious health impacts if performed incorrectly. They should be performed by trained personnel and in an environment where good laboratory practices are followed. There are some tests we perform at home. The pregnancy test might be the best known, but there are others, blood glucose for diabetics to titrate their insulin, and more recently, the at-home testing for COVID-19. For physician offices, they have added a range of tests that are likely familiar to many, including the rapid flu, strep, and RSV virus testing, glucose, hemoglobin A1c, and some go further with lipid, liver, and kidney panels. For everything else, testing is sent out to the laboratory. That can be found in the hospital or in commercial laboratories set up to process samples. Even prior to the pandemic, laboratories, especially in low resource settings, are often under-resourced and underused and struggle with the shortage of both personnel and supplies that contribute to lengthy turnaround times that can extend to days. The decision to order laboratory tests is often a choice between accuracy and expediency. As the pandemic unfolded on our world, these challenges were amplified with an urgent demand for accurate and rapid testing to identify patients infected with SARS-CoV-2 virus, allowing for an early and appropriate isolation to limit the spread of the disease and guiding the best course of treatment for those individuals. Instead, we saw centralized infrastructure creaking under the strain and turnaround times rising to days and sometimes weeks. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Gary Frazier. 
the founder and chief executive officer of Workside Labs that's reimagined the laboratory business as a local activity utilizing innovative options and choices to stand up local testing capabilities quickly and economically. Hi, Gary. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me. So we've been doing the same thing with laboratory testing in this country and pretty much around the world forever, but it hasn't delivered the speed and responsiveness that has been exposed in the pandemic. Tell us your thoughts about how we should be delivering laboratory care. Well, and you said it, you know, they've been doing the same thing for probably 30, 40 years, and it's been largely wrapped around the healthcare industry's needs. And by that, I mean, they service hospitals, they service medical clinics, where the, where the demand is coming from a physician or an institution. Uh, in this new world of, uh, I, don't, I can't even say post-pandemic because we're still in the pandemic, but in this pandemic, the larger consumer community had a need and the demand was not coming from doctors and hospitals only, it was coming from everybody. And so in that environment, you have to have a decentralized approach when it comes to access versus the very centralized institutional approach. So that's, so that's kind of the gist of it. It really is, how is the demand now coming to you and how can you deliver when that demand comes? And the, again, the, the, the institutions that have been in place for the last few decades um, have never been asked to deliver services, in this case, laboratory services and results um, in the manner in which they've been uh, asked to do it during the pandemic. So I, I, I've had lots of guests on this show and my pushback around this is always um, hung on the fact that if you have large players who've done this the same way forever, how do you disintermediate and disrupt that conventional lab, lab experience and the patient experience? Yeah, so, so the trick is, is that you don't disintermediate per se. Um, the consumers do. So, so, so I've, I mean, I've been in healthcare for almost 20 years, worked at large health systems, um, but the last six or so, I've been in the process of disintermediating various parts of the healthcare industry. Um, the pandemic moved me into labs, but um, what I have learned is that they are too big for any, especially a small company, to disintermediate. But if you can get the consumers to act differently, or if the consumers just begin to act differently because of new technology, like the internet did, and other things like that, then it creates this wide gap, this opening for someone to run into and fill. And then it leaves the bigger guys who, you know, they're in a big ship, takes a really long time to turn that ship. It leaves them in a, in a new place um, that they weren't in before, just because the consumers move. So I would, again, just kind of answering your question in a different way, is the consumers, a la or via the pandemic, they're the ones that created this disintermediation opportunity. What we did was we filled the need, if that makes so any sense. And, say, and, and that can happen with any business. Right. I, um, would you say that without the pandemic, you, you wouldn't have seen this flip or change? Has that really been a sort of central requirement or could we have seen this change without it 
We, so, so two answers. We always, those of us that are in healthcare, have seen the, um, shall we call it, inefficiencies in the healthcare industry. And it doesn't just end or begin with labs, right? It, it, it's all over the place, right, when it comes to healthcare in America. Um, but the opportunity for it to manifest or the opportunity or inflection point for it to suddenly take off does require some kind of event. Um, in, in most cases, or if not an event, it's just this gradual climb over a long time before things finally pop. Well, the pandemic was this black swan event that caused not just laboratory businesses to have an opening for disintermediation or um, disruption. Uh, it, it also caused other industries. Think about, again, the telemedicine business, right? It had been, I've been doing telemedicine when I was with uh, uh, Dignity Health CHW many years ago, you know, we were doing it for stroke and other things. It's an old, it's old hat by now, but it really took off. It really took off during the pandemic when everybody were forced to do Zoom meetings for everything, right? So that's what I mean, is that manifestation of the thing that we've watched be inefficient suddenly turn on its head usually requires something like this to happen. So cast your mind back. Um, pre-pandemic, you were uh, progressing through um, the work that was going on. Pandemic arrives. What were the inflection points and what did you see happen that really sort of changed the experience that allowed you to sort of expand and people to start taking that notice and see that big inflection? Oh, wow. You know, there's, there's a book called A Series of Unfortunate Events. That's a children's book um, that, uh, and a movie as well. Uh, this, this would, in our case, it would be a series of fortunate and unfortunate events. Unfortunate event being the pandemic itself, right? Um, and things, uh, places uh, being locked down in, you know, early 2020, specifically from March through, you know, the summer of 2020. Um, and so we're watching this all happen along with all of you. And we, and I won't get into the, 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 the minor details, but I was already an entrepreneur doing some entrepreneurial things that really positioned me in a place to be nimble at the time around technology and just around healthcare operations. And with that, um, one particular group, uh, jail in particular, contacted us with a problem that they were facing. Um, and the problem that they were facing is that they had inmates, and yet they were bringing in new detainees on a daily basis. And what they didn't want to do was bring in new detainees off the street and have them infect inmates that they had already tested and knew were COVID negative. But the problem is, is that they also had rules around how long they can hold these detainees before releasing them into their general population. So that was the first big use case, and they did not have a clear certified laboratory on site or anything like that. They had to swap people in the jail, send specimens out to a large laboratory, traditional laboratory. And as you know, during that time, laboratories were turning specimens around in days, not hours, days. Well, that was a problem. If you were trying to, if you were arresting 200 people and detaining them a day, and you had to move them through the holding tank into a cell. That problem was brought to us. And we looked at the, 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 the problem and said, well, what if we put the lab on site in a parking lot of the jail or inside the jail? 
And that was the, the first real kind of like, oh, wow, you know, this is, this is us solving a problem for a vulnerable population is what happened. And, um, you know, without getting into the weeds, you know, we ultimately came to all the different parts that made us unique, which was the shipping container in the lab, the CLIA certification in some sort of a portable space, the hiring of the people and the setup to be a constrained workflow just on COVID, no other labs, and um, being able to turn specimens around within three or four hours on a PCR test um, that's, you know, processed in a lab that's anywhere you wanted it to be. So that was the impetus. What blew us up, what really put us out across the country um, was another fortunate event was with Hawaii. Uh, you know, we, we were, I was in conversations with a friend that's in this industry, uh, works for a very large big name consulting firm, and he was trapped, using air quotes, in Hawaii because they were shut down, people were in bread lines, and it was really bad over there. And he's like, we got to get this economy open again, Gary. And the governor's trying to figure out what to do. And so he says, so what are you up to? And I told him about what we were doing at the jail. One thing led to the next, and we were having conversations with Hawaiian Airlines. And Hawaiian Airlines made the decision that um, since they knew that the governor was going to announce the trusted testing program that September, August, that they wanted to have a private network of laboratories at airports for people coming from the mainland to Hawaii to give them, Hawaiian Airlines, a competitive advantage. So with that, we were able to pop up labs within 30 to 40 days at airports all across the West Coast at first. So and you, that's from you, LAX, yeah. You, you talk about that and you know the challenge and let, let's be clear, standing up a laboratory is not a simple process, but you've turned that into, and if I heard you correctly, you said shipping containers and just to be clear, I thought there was a shortage of shipping containers. Is that not the case? You found a, an extra supply? So, so my, my, my answer to that is that um, it depends on where you look. Um, for, for someone looking for a brand new shipping container, I, I suspect there is a shortage. But we have to remember that uh, they've been manufacturing shipping containers for decades now. And, and, and they've been shipping them to the United States for all that period of time. So there are plenty of spare shipping containers um, hidden in corners all over the United States. So it really does depend on where you look. And there's plenty of shipping containers to be, shipping containers to be had. Um, so for us, again, it's not a trade secret or anything, but for us, we were able to find ample supply of shipping containers when we needed them. So you, you set this up. I mean, this is essentially rapid setup, rapid standup of a, a clear certified lab. Um, how does that work? How do you do that? Um, wow. You, you, you think outside the box. You basically realize, one, that in this case, the shipping container, but, but really a lab has to be inside of a facility. If that facility is brick and mortar, or if that facility is a shipping container, or if that facility is a, a tractor trailer, right, an RV, it kind of doesn't matter. Um, it, as long as you're going to put it stationary someplace for six months or a year, you have an address, which is, in, you know, our first one was in a jail. Our second one was at an airport. 
Um, now you've got an address and you've got a facility. After that, it's really it's about buying the proper equipment, the thermal cyclers and all the other pieces um, to put it together. And then probably more important than all of that, and this is trade secret, is being able to hire all the right people to come in and, and, and do the work in what is in that situation a confined space. Um, and then setting up your systems in a way to be able to really stand these up in very short order. Um, and the way you do that is, again, not to be so fixed facility mind, you know, mindset. You have to be in a kind of, I want to build it up and I want it to be ready to be folded up and moved to another location. So at the time in 2020, like many people, we thought that the pandemic, COVID, would ultimately be fixed, right? The vaccines were going to come in and change everything for us. So we really built a business that was to be quasi-temporary, right? The business model um, was to be essentially you stand it up and you tear it down easily. It couldn't be something that was permanent. Um, that, now here we are two years later, turned out to be a good long-term strategy because it made us very adaptable and nimble and quick, much more than our, comp our competitors were. So we were able to really just, um, you know, spread ourselves around the world, pollinate ourselves, if you will, really fast around the United States um, in a short period of time because of that business model. It's not just the technology, is it? I mean, this is about the consumer experience as much as anything. And you're disrupting that as well, because I, I think most people would agree that we don't get great service from a consumer perspective in the lab experience. Yeah, so... So the story on that um, is that because, because it goes back to the beginning, right? You know, the startup that I have, I still have it. It's called Open Market Healthcare, Own Healthcare. I have been working on it since 2015. I had a couple of B2B clients, but that's what I was doing in early 2020 as the pandemic was spreading. And, and so having this consumer technology, which at the time had telemedicine, I partnered with some Marcel systems to do scheduling for doctor's offices. It was transparent with pricing. So kind of like good RXs for pharmacies, we were doing that for primary care. And so we were doing this thing that was about consumer first, transparency first, and making healthcare access outside of whether or not you had insurance a thing. Pandemic happens. The laboratory thing came to fruition. What we did was we bolted on our technology so that it was easy for people whether you were documented, undocumented, working, not working, insured, uninsured, it didn't matter in a pandemic for you to be able to go online or on your phone, schedule an appointment, pay for that service, whether you were traveling or if you had a medical need, right? And you needed a doctor's note. The point is, is that you had the ability with an easy button to get the service that you needed. And in this case, it was laboratories. So that is 100% right. Having a consumer front-end technology that's easy-peasy um, and not caught up in insurance and revenue cycle and all the other stuff that, that, that you know, really kind of makes it hard was part of the velocity building that we were doing at the time. So, I, you know, great progress for the individual. You've obviously seen that value add. You've seen you know, huge sort of adoption of this across a number of industries. 
I, I would suggest that we've seen a lot of people coming in. There's lots of people setting up labs because, you know, there was a demand. I don't think it's easy. And, you know, I'm interested that's, in your thoughts and where you see your, yourself going. So that's not so, so so that's not true. So so the short version is that all of the folks that are popping up are not labs. They're just doing COVID swabbing collection services. They're urgent care centers, they're medical groups. Some of them aren't even in healthcare. They're just popping up COVID testing so they can make money. That's what makes us special is that we are vertically integrated. We do the collection site. We do the lab processing. We have our, we built our own tech. So that means that soup to nuts, A to B, we control the, the experience all the way through the, to the end. So when others are falling behind, it's because they're sending the specimen to some third party. And if a third party gets bogged down because they got other clients, then you're bogged down. We never have that problem. We have a 24-hour guarantee, and it stays that way because we control everything from A to B, and we are the lab. There are very few labs that are actually doing the front-end component of this thing. So that's what sets us apart. Fantastic. So where do you go from here? You've managed all of this progress. At some point, we'll return. I don't want to say normal. I feel that's like an inappropriate word, but we'll return to something pre-pandemic. What's next? So, so let's level set on the pandemic. It will become endemic, as we can tell at this point. Um, and in the businesses that we're in, since we've gotten into the commercial side of healthcare, so we're working at airports, we're working with airlines, we're working with commercial business. Our laboratories um, payer mix, if you will, if we're talking healthcare talk, is largely direct to employer and B2B which is the holy grail for healthcare institutions, right, versus the traditional. What that means is, is that as long as people will be required to test to go to other countries, chances are we'll be in the business of doing COVID testing. Now, that's over to the left. Over to the right, we are a high-complexity CLIA-certified laboratory that has 10 labs spattered across the United States and growing. What that means is, is that we can do more than just COVID. We can do STIs, we can do LDLs, we can do blood panels, we can do all the other things. And so sky is the limit when it comes to where we go from here because we are a, a license, not just clear license, we're state licensed, we're CAP accredited, which is the College of American Pathology, which means we're the, we have the highest accreditation and quality. And so really, you know, we can do the same thing that LabCorp and Quest and any other major lab can do. So sky's the limit on that. And I think if I was to surmise based on the experiences in your capacity, it's not just that, but it's doing that. It's healthcare local, right? Yes. Yes. So, so, so the ability for us to be local where our providers are. So when we talk about urgent care centers and primary care physicians, the ability for them to have the fast turnaround times, the high touch, high performance services of a laboratory um, versus shipping stuff to a different state every day, um, that elevates even their performance to their patients. And so, yeah, you're right. We are in that market. We will be competing in that space. Um, and we'll be bringing a high performance laboratory network, you know, to, to most communities across the United States at some point in the near future. Fantastic opportunities, bringing 
monitoring and true lab facilities into the community, which I think we're all um, excited about. Um, Gary, thanks for joining me on the show today. No, thank you very much. It was, I had a good time. It's not just the supply chain of goods and services that was found wanting in the pandemic. Our healthcare system and laboratory testing was unable to cope with surging demand. Demand that is not likely to diminish anytime soon, and as we have seen, is increasingly relevant to providing essential data to manage not just the individual care, but also provide critical data for our public health planning and responses. We've seen a big increase of entrance into the marketplace, setting up fully certified labs, expanding the available pool of testing and providing more local capabilities. But the process of running a laboratory economically is a specialized task with some extreme pressures of staffing availability, supplies, regulatory compliance, and integration into a frictionless patient experience. With varying demand cycles impacting economics, some of these new resources will struggle to continue and might become an additional drag on operations and patients and customer satisfaction as turnaround suffers. Your better pill to swallow is to find ways to create broader and wider access to laboratory testing at the local level that goes beyond the home-based testing and basic testing services offered in physician offices. It is possible to bring economically viable, high-performance laboratory capabilities to communities throughout the US. We need distributed capacity to drive healthcare local and enable the medical home and advances in remote patient monitoring. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone. Thank you.